Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck and I'm joined here with my daughter Paige Balmert. Hi Paige. Hello. Paige, today we're going to be talking about responsibility. In fact, I have three ways to teach children to take responsibility for themselves. I know a lot of parents worry about this. They watch some behaviors of their children, like maybe the children don't want to brush their teeth. They don't really want to get up in the morning. They don't want to do their chores. They don't want to clean up after their own dishes. They don't want to do lots of things. (laughs) And they wonder, is this ever going to change? Is there hope? Can it change? The answer is yes. And we definitely want to talk about that. But before we do, as is tradition here on the Teaching Self-Government podcast, we want to share a fun family activity. So Paige, do you have an idea for a fun family activity for us today? For sure. So something that we would do uh, when we were younger, in the days where you would read aloud all day, every day. Literally, it was all day a lot of times. I mean, it welcomed to homeschool, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was so fun. <laughs> but you would read out loud to us. And then you being the spontaneous person that you are, you would say, oh, Laura Ingalls learned how to make bread. Guys, let me teach you how to make bread. Let's go make some bread. You know, and so that was a really fun way of, uh, you know, schooling and a fun thing that we used to do uh, throughout the day, especially as part of our homeschooling. Yeah. Oh, with, with Little House on the Prairie books, there's so many, I found this thing called the Prairie Primer too. And the Prairie Primer gives all these ideas for everything you can do with every one of the Laura Ingalls Wilder books. So if (laughs) you don't come up with ideas spontaneously, then that's one way to go. But I really am a hands-on person. I'm like, let's do it then. Let's do. Okay. So like, if we learn a, a, a nursery rhyme from Mother Goose, I'm like, let's act it out. Or, you know, like the little, a peanut sat on the railroad track. His heart was all a flutter. Along came the train, the 9.15. Peanut butter. Exactly. And then we would be like, let's see if we can make our own peanuts into peanut butter. Like, let's see if we could mash it. How heavy is a train? You know, and, and we were just like. Get into the nitty gritties. Yeah, get into it, right? Which was so fun. And anyone can do this at any time. You could be like, hey, Sunday afternoon, we're going to read. And then we're going to find an activity in there, whatever we're reading, and we're going to do it. So we went to visit beekeepers because in Laura Ingalls books, they're always like collecting beehives, different places. You could watch people play the fiddle. I remember we went to a, a violin place where they make violins and watch That's people true. play violins and you know and and all of that was right around the time where we were reading those little house on the prairie books so super fun here's a couple of other good books that could be fun to do things with the hiding place by Tor- Corey ten boom awesome book there and she makes watches and her dad makes watches so how mm-hmm. cool to learn how a watch works to maybe even take apart an old watch on the inside or go see a person who works on clocks and learn how those things work study fleas because fleas are a big part of that mm. right <laughs> i know gross right um study government law enforcement you can study prison camps and world war ii in holland and what mm-hmm. it was like you know and those kinds of things it's a very interesting study seems somber but you'd be surprised you how much build the children a secret that. room Ooh, build like a secret room yeah like a fort or something like they had Somewhere. for the refugees 
be like, this closet is our secret room. What would we want in here? That would be intense. You'd have to take everything else out of the closet. But that would be still like, that would be fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, Little Britches by Ralph Moody. There's a whole series of those books. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could learn to milk a cow, you know, find a local farm that you could go and visit or a local rancher that you could go. Or a local latex glove. You never know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Fill it up, milk it, you know, just do it. Right. Learn to ride a horse could be a thing. You could build something like build a clubhouse. Now, Ralph, he helped his dad build their actual house. Right. Because you could learn some things about home building and putting together a structure, which could be fun, even if you just did it out of popsicle sticks, right? Yeah. Which would, could be a lot of fun too. Um, there's a book called Boys in the Boat. And these are all, by the way, true stories, which is fun. So I love getting in touch with history and biography and, you know, getting into a story that seems like fiction and things that you can learn from because they're real life. So Boys in the Boat, story about some boys, the time of the Great Depression and World War II, and that they did rowing. Um, so these sculling competitions. And so you could go out on a lake or somewhere and learn how to row a boat, different ways to row a boat. You could watch rowing competitions online or on television. And these are interesting things. You know, if you look up rowing competitions from the Olympics, there's a lot of cool things that you can view. So anyway, find a fun read aloud. I love that page and, and find a, a book that's gonna inspire some things to do. If you don't get inspired to do anything in the book, then probably the book is one of those that's more on the side of twaddle. You know, <laughs> if it's just a story that just it doesn't get you going anywhere, then it probably wasn't super worth your time anyway. So find something. Okay, Paige, we're going to talk about responsibility. This is super important. Teaching our children to take responsibility for themselves. Amen. Yes. And adults oh. for themselves. So. <laughs> You know, actually the principles that we're going to be talking about here for teaching the children do apply to adults. So let's Mm -hmm. keep that in mind, right? From the very beginning. I think it's a really good point. There's a lot of adults that don't want to take responsibility, which hmm, I wonder if that could be a problem, why the children are also struggling. But I I do know that there are plenty of really responsible, hardworking adults who are just blood, sweat, and tears every day. And they're looking at their children going, why? (laughs) Why is, why are my children not getting a clue here so um and and they're tired of fighting about it but they still feel like some there's got to be a way to help my child care right and not be so selfish because really if you can't take responsibility for yourself then instead of examining yourself and pushing yourself toward towards something that's meaningful you're really just being selfish and expecting everything to happen to you there's two different things there one is entitlement and one leads toward purpose which leads us into this conversation but first before we talk about this conversation we've got to understand self-government because we're going to be looking through this this topic through the lens of Mm self-government page what's self-government Self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. So Paige, we say that almost every time. Mm -hmm. So really, what is self-government? I mean, that's what it is, but like, what does that mean? When a person is self-governing themselves, what does it look like? Well, I guess in some terms, you could say it's taking the bull by the horns And making a plan for your life, setting goals, you know, making a plan to achieve those goals, and then actually doing it, you know, pushing yourself to achieve new heights, to progress and to move forward. Okay. So actually learning self-government is taking responsibility for yourself. Okay. Done with the podcast. No, I'm kidding. We have other things that we're going to share, but, but right. 
It's you saying, wait a minute, who am I supposed to be here? Who do I know I'm supposed to be? What's my purpose? And mm-hmm. what, what pieces do I need to put in place so I make sure I become that version of me? And right. then I got to hold myself accountable and fix it along the way. Well, it's looking That's at it to see who you really want to be, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, and then be like, yeah, I need to do something about that. Yeah. And even though that seems really, really basic, when you think of when you've gotten stuck somewhere, it's usually because you've started thinking, I, I don't know what to do next because maybe I'm missing a skill. And so then I don't know how to get myself from A to B. Right? Or it could be the other way around. It could be like, I have arrived and I don't need to go any further. Oh, this is a really common problem. That's called laziness. What? And, well, okay. And I guess I shouldn't <laughs> say it just like that because for some people they're like, well, I checked the things off my list. I guess I'm done. Mm-hmm. But when a person is truly self-governing, then what that means is they know they're never done. They keep working again and again, becoming that best version of themselves, fine-tuning the things they can so that they can have the most integrity. And I think that's the thing that that people don't understand that is required for someone to learn self-government. And that is honesty. Mm. If you really are a self-governed person, you're completely honest with yourself and with your progress. And you don't ever think you're done because you know that you're not perfect yet, right? And that everyone's working in a forward direction. But this also hopefully helps you have compassion on everybody else in their journey, their progress. And so should create more unity and an attachment with family members and others as you see everyone through this lens of being on a self-governed journey too. Okay, so let's talk about responsibility. Taking responsibility means understanding personal purpose and duty. Mm, I like that. Yeah. So when people are having a hard time taking responsibility, they are usually lacking in one or both of these areas. So either they don't understand any personal purpose. They're just waiting for things to happen to them. (laughs) And they're waiting for everybody else to control their destiny. Maybe they've been micromanaged as children. Maybe they, maybe they never had any say in anything that happened to them. And now they don't know what to do next, or maybe they're perfectionistic and they're worried about failing in anything. So they never make plans to go further with any part of their lives. And so then again, they, they get stuck in the minute and stop thinking about purpose and then duty, you know, duty takes work. Duty takes again, more honesty, more alignment. It's, it's a hard uh, principle to follow through with. Yeah. Well, and duty also means like, if you have a sense of duty, It means you know you're not entitled to something and that you have a responsibility (laughs) to do something to make something else happen. Yes, exactly. So let's take a little bit and talk about purpose and duty more in depth. And we're going to start getting to some of these three ways that parents can help their children to take more personal responsibility, which is, I know, the goal for everybody today. So purpose comes from the Latin word propsedum or propono, which is another Latin word. Pro meaning before and pono meaning to set in place. So purpose actually comes from the Latin root of words that mean before something happens, it's set in place. So things are set in motion in a specific direction going toward a specific end goal. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's an object that is supposed to be reached. Okay. Such as if someone's going to start a house, they start with a plan, right? 
So what's the purpose of a house? A house is to provide shelter and protection from the outside elements. And so that is the purpose of that home. So if someone's going to build that home, that's going to be in the forefront of their mind. They're not going to just leave a wall open because that would not be good purpose unless they're creating a home in a place where ventilation is going to be a problem or something or whatever, then maybe mm-hmm. they're going to have to leave that because obviously they, people have to breathe inside the home. Okay. <laughs> so there's, you know, but it depends on the purpose of the home, but the purpose of a, a cover over a pavilion is different. It's just for cover, but it's not necessarily for warmth, right? Mm-hmm. So you could meet at any time and there's just going to be air. It's like, I'm still outside, but I have this little bit of cover or shade. Its purpose is to be sheltered, but open. Yeah, exactly. So this is the way that we can remember what purpose means. Purpose is okay, I'm going to build something. I'm going to create something. I'm going to become something because we're all becoming something. We can't stop that. We are all becoming something. Mm -hmm. So what is our purpose? So what is our intention, right? What, What were we designed to do? Because purpose can also mean the intention or the design of a person who they were designed. So this goes back to that old, you know, what is life about? You know, why is a person even alive? Yeah, it's super deep. Exactly. Like, what is the design of humanity? Right. And there's a lot of debate about that, which is why people get really hung up on purpose because they're like, well, does my purpose come from science? Does my purpose come from history? Does my purpose come from theology? Um, Does my purpose come from just whatever I want? You know, can I just declare my purpose purpose come from me? Does it come from someone else? Yeah. Or, or can someone else define my purpose? So Buddha, great spiritual leader, Buddha, he said (laughs) that your purpose in life is to find your purpose in life and then to do it. That is the purpose. Now that that's true. It's deep. I think every religion is saying that. Yes. And some religions will add more to that than others and add more clarity, you know, and then sometimes when we read other things, we find this clarity. But I think that history also teaches us a ton about purpose, right? We see a lot of people's stories. We see a lot of biographical accounts of life and we see you know, wars and times of peace, and we see how people live and what they need. And this gives Mm -hmm. us this idea of purpose. And so somewhere along the line, people felt like that a part of somebody's purpose has got to be how they're going to get food. That's got to be something that has to do with purpose. Maybe it's not their ultimate purpose, but they got to do it so that there is some purpose in finding food. And then of course, over time, the way that people find food has changed right? Mm -hmm. Because with other innovations and whatever, and the way that people, you know, outsource different things and who's going to take on a bigger share of food production versus who's going to take on TV production or whatever. (laughs) And so, and so it changes, but at the end of the day, it all comes back to the same things that people have always wanted, which I think is why so many people end up going back to their Bibles when they're looking at what the purpose of life is, because they're saying, well, let's go back to the beginning here because Mm -hmm. it can't be, it can't change really. Like, I mean, everybody's got these similar purposes. So, yeah. And I think, you know, we, as humans, we all do have similar purposes with, um, different side effects, I guess you could say, um, you know, we all have different, different jobs to do within that purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we absolutely, absolutely do. And I think one of our biggest purposes comes with family. If you want to teach someone to live according to purpose, they can't be their own island. 
They have to be connected to other people because no mission in life or purpose in life is completely Mm self-serving. Okay. So think of, you know, when a person is pregnant, what is their purpose, right? That they are giving life to another person that is part of their purpose at that time in their life. That's huge. That's not about themselves. Yeah. It's a stepping stone. It's not, it's it's not the whole purpose. No, because we go through phases and at different times we have different purposes in our development, right? But there are these overarching purposes and we're not going to get into all that because no. that's really not what this is about. <laughs> but, but, and, and hopefully everybody is figuring those things out for themselves. But family leads to purpose. And whenever you have a person who doesn't know their purpose in life, I actually wonder when I see that person, you know, say I, I meet someone, they're like, oh, I don't know. I wonder, are they just focusing on themselves, their own, like what they, what they feel, what they crave, what their senses are, you know, picking up. Like and spur not, of the moment impulses. Yeah, their impulses. Exactly. I'm like, if you're, if you do not know your purpose at all, is it because A, you've only been focused on what you are feeling every day of your life? Because if it's only about you, you're going to be stuck. And some parents will make the mistake of making the life of their child, you know, be in this little bubble where the child only has to think about their wants and needs and never even Mm -hmm. gives back to the family, which is dangerous. Or never makes goals for the future and just lives in the day to day. Yeah. And if we go back to the beginning of humanity, okay, we go back to first man, first woman, immediately comes first child, and then second child, and then third child. And then, okay, here we go, right? <laughs> we got the Adam and Eve story here. But, you know, but I mean, that was the first group that was ever made. And it was the first thing, really, that ever happened in recorded history of, you know, it was like family created child came. Okay, so this is huge then. So then we've got purpose within the family. This is huge. So if a parent lives their purpose as an adult, what are they teaching to their child about purpose? If they live their purpose as a parent, as a mother or as a father, they are telling their child what is most important in life, right? So so this leads us to the number one way that we can teach our children to take personal responsibility. So way number one is teach examples not excuses. So example, not excuses. You are the example of purpose. Now, some parents might freak out when they hear that because that might be like, oh no, I don't know mine. Now, what am I going to do? My poor child, (laughs) you know, well, you've got to zero in on that. You've got to go to a source of truth. Go to your parents, look at their lives, go to your grandparents, people that you revere and, and say, Okay, what is the most meaningful thing to them? They, they are 89. What is the most meaningful thing to them in their life right now? Oh, family. Oh, mm-hmm. their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. Oh, huh. So what does that mean then? Yeah, well, I, think it, mean? I think it's really interesting that you point that out because um, everything we do teach is an example. And so, um, you know, whether we see it that way or not, in fact, you know, just a couple months ago, we were visiting you and dad and you showed me how to do something one way. And, you know, I, you probably weren't even thinking about it, but I picked up on it and now I do it that way all the time. And so I'm curious what it is. (laughs) We're going to have to have another talk about that. Curiosity is peaked. Yeah. Anyway. And so it's just like, oh, you know, I saw it once it was example to me and so I tried it and I liked it, you know? And so even though you're not necessarily teaching 
Um, well, everything you do is teaching. And so if you're teaching excuses, that's what you're exampling. So when you do example, make sure that you're exampling, you know, having a sense of duty, having a purpose, doing things deliberately, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. No, it's so true. In fact, I think that's something as a parent that I really have deliberately taken ownership of, that my example is a teacher. Mm-hmm. I, I am in charge of a youth group at my church, right? So that's my ministry to lead the young girls at the church ages 12 to 18. And I feel like the way I live my life, the words I say is an example to them. I have to be that example, but with my children, it's no different. Cause I've always done that with my children. And now we got little Clara. So we've got little grandchild coming up and I'm so excited that I get to be an example to that person of what it means to live a fulfilled life, mm-hmm. to really be a person who's dedicated themselves to something greater than just their own whims and fancies, their own desires all of the time. And so it's important. So the opposite of example is excuses right? There's the people who complain all the time. They're like, oh, well, you know, that, da, 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 oh, that, I can't do that because da, 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 and I can't, you know, <laughs> and, and everything is why a person won't take action or why they don't have to be the example because the, the misfortunes in their life are somebody else's fault. And they, they focus their whole attention on everything that has happened to them. Those are their excuses. And so they don't step up. And they don't become that person. Now, I know that parents listening to this are probably going, okay, I got it. Like I have been focusing on that and they still aren't doing anything, you know? Okay, well, that's good. But we have to start with the obvious, right? So the obvious is purpose comes from parent. Purpose comes from parents who are living and loving being a parent. And then their children know what comes next for them. And the children never fully find the happiness that the parent finds unless they end up taking on that role of parent one day, you know, and they know something's missing. That's just how it goes when we teach in that direction. So that means parents need to take deliberate action. They need to create vision for their family so that their family has this picture of where they're headed, but just their actions can do that. Although you can have personal conversations, deliberate conversations with your family about the vision that you have for your family. So another thing that I just wanted to bring up here when when we're talking about example is just the family dynamic in general. So if a family has purpose as a group, this leads to individual purpose as well. Mm-hmm. So this is important. So as your family comes together and says, who are we as a family? What's our vision of who we're becoming? Let's describe that. And I talk about that in my teaching self-government uh, course. We talk yeah. about creating that 20-year family vision. And, and as a family does that and gets the family going together and working as one you know, group of people toward a shared goal that they have, then you know what happens to the individuals? They all have a sense of ownership in that group. So if everything is done for a child, they don't get the opportunity to take ownership in the group. The parent has to take them along by getting them on board with the picture of who the group is and then giving them responsibility in that group on a regular basis, even if it hurts, Mm -hmm. even if the child whines and complains, the parent consistently moves forward with purpose and directs that child towards serving the group, serving the, even if the child's like, I hate this. No, you're so (laughs) mean. It's amazing to me how many parents get thrown off by the fact that their child says, I don't like it. Well, you're not a parent so that your child will like everything you do, right? Yeah. You I mean, are. I didn't parent. like gardening all the time. 
No, but guess what? We did it. And we had great food. <laughs> we did. And I taught you responsibility. And Hooray. I taught, you, I taught you how to grow something from nothing. You know, we taught you a lot of things that developed your confidence, your work ethic. Mm-hmm. And, and if you complained, I'd say, you know, right now you're not complaining or you're not agreeing. About- <laughs> disagreeing appropriately. Hello. Can I just be say a correction? Yeah, I would say, okay, right now you're not disagreeing appropriately. And, and then, you know, even if you did disagree appropriately, lots of times I would say, you know, I know sometimes we don't like everything we have to do, but then sometimes we just have to make ourselves do it and choose to have a calm face, voice and body about it. So let's just do it. Let's get it done. And you guys learned to be mentally strong because of that. You didn't have to give in to every whim and every, you know, fear of hard work or whatever that you have. So (laughs) anyway, so actually the example of hard work is huge. So we probably should throw that in there in the example, not excuses step, because when you work with your children and you have them work and you show them you like work, then hopefully they will get the, the idea that they should follow your example and work as well, that that leads them to success, whether they like it or not. You know, it is my hope that all of my children will have clean homes because because that was the standard they were raised with you know and it is a hope that I have that all of my children will say oh that needs to be done I'm your girl or I'm your boy and they will just do it and they won't think about oh it has to be done they will just do it because they're not afraid of work because that's the example that me and their father set for them so yeah anyway so let's talk about duty yes duty is really fantastic. So duty is that which a person owes to another person or law. So similar to like the law of morality. So a a person feels bound to serve and give because they have been served, you know, whether that be in government or religion or in relationships, in the employment area, um, et cetera. You know, all, all people, all these things are maintained by duty. So when duty falls, the institution or relationship also falls, Yeah, which is very true. It is. In fact, I, I met a woman one time who said, oh, I was, we were having a discussion about a topic I, I thought we shared in common. In fact, I thought she thought about principles the same way I did. And I was <laughs> like, and, and we were talking about something. I forget what it was. It was probably a character from a book or something. And I said, well, you know, this person had to learn their duty. She's like, I hate that word. And I was like, what? And I thought to myself, why would you hate that word? Duty. Very interesting. And I think there actually are a lot of people that hate that word is what I I wonder if it has a negative connotation because it means that you owe someone something. Therefore, you're not free to do whatever you want. Maybe. Maybe. So it's a self, like it's a selfless thing. And so since people tend to be selfishly minded, it can be a negative thing. I think people think of duty as passive, like you're a servant. Like I'm like passive and servant with no choice with no choice. Yeah. Which is not true at all. So, uh, I think of duty as a very active thing. This is me using my freedom of choice to want to show gratitude to somebody else. So, so here, here's the thing. Like if, if I, if God has given me something, if I feel like God has given me this truth, this truth, these blessings, whatever. And I want to serve God. I want to give back to God. I feel like it's my duty because I have so much gratitude for mm-hmm. God, right? Well, so then here's another thing. Like if I have a child, I bring this child into the world, okay? 
that means right there, I have a duty to the child. Am I grateful for the child? Am I happy that I was given this child? Yes. Has the child done much for me yet? No, they've given me more purpose. <laughs> uh, you know, if I want to acknowledge that, they've given I know me more exactly purpose. what you mean. Yeah. But I have a duty to that child. I can't start thinking about myself and being like, this child needs so much care. This is just, you know, how selfish. Like, no, <laughs> I, I'm grateful for now the opportunity to work for the child. That's called duty. Mm-hmm. Also, does well, because honesty- one day, if you look at it one day, they will have to start giving back, you know, especially if, you know, when you get older, you might need some extra care that you can't provide for yourself. And so that is kind of where the duty of taking care of your parents comes from. Yeah. The thing is, is like, if my parents needed me to care for them day and night, which they don't, but if they did, I would totally do it. Mm-hmm. I would totally do it. And I would fit everything else in. And I would feel like it's an honor to do it because I love them so much. And so really I have a duty to that love. I have yeah. felt that love for so and, and, and with the baby, isn't it the same thing? That baby is bonded to you. You have a duty to that bond. That mm-hmm. bond is so strong. They trust you in every single thing. They cling to you. They hold you. They hug you. They cry to you. You have a duty to honor that bond. Well, my parents, my bond to my parents, the love that they've shown me that, and everything all these years, I have a duty to just that love. It doesn't even matter if they never did anything for me besides love me. I would have a duty to that love you know, because of that. Right. And same thing with honesty. Does honesty serve me? Right. Then I have a duty to be honest to other people. It's really doing what needs to be done. Yeah. Oh, it totally is. But it it, it requires selflessness. Mm -hmm. I don't think a person can embrace the idea of duty and be selfish at the same time, unless they're just like, well, I have to do this so that my child would care about me enough later, you know, (laughs) which I guess if you want to give your duty in that way, but then it is a drudgery, then it is a kind of a bondage, a checkoff list, but true duty is something different. And a person learns duty bit by bit, tiny action by tiny action. So the first way that a person learns to take responsibility was example, not excuses. The second way that a person learns to take personal responsibility is by daily practice, not procrastination. These are the little bits of time where we get to practice being grateful for the other people around us that we're bonded to, the experiences that we have, the principles that serve us, and we practice on serving those principles Mm -hmm. and those uh those skills and things that have served us instead of procrastinating and deciding ah you know whatever they can serve me I don't care I deserve it or I don't have to do anything and parents teach us in very simple ways so Paige how do parents teach their children to practice personal responsibility to have a duty to the family what do they do So this is something that we teach all the time, obviously, and it is our four basic skills. So our four basic skills are following instructions, accepting no answers and criticism, accepting consequences and disagreeing appropriately. And something that I share with parents all the time is that in order to have these skills be successful in the family and actually have it work, you have to practice them. So not only are you going to teach them to your children and use them in real life situations, But if something doesn't go correctly, you're going to role play, you know, that same situation that just happened that didn't go as planned or didn't go as it should. And you're going to say, okay, let's practice this how it should have gone. 
Mm-hmm. And so that is a lot of where that daily practice comes in and being consistent in that. Um, in fact, I was just telling uh, a couple recently through our mentor program in the TSG parenting course that, you know, this role play has to happen, especially as you're just getting started after every interaction. And that sounds like, you know, it could be very exhausting. And you know what? It is. But you have a duty as a parent to help that child learn those skills and learn how to govern themselves so that they can become functioning, happy adults who can contribute to your family relationships, your personal relationship with them and to society. And so that's that training that you do that, that pre-teaching. So we're talking about practicing the way, um, practicing a skill like following instructions or like accepting consequences. And by the way, these two skills that we teach following instructions and accepting consequences, these are massive skills Mm -hmm. for taking personal responsibility. Massive. If you can't accept a consequence, you will never take personal responsibility, which means someone has to give you the opportunity to accept a consequence, whether it's a positive consequence or whether it's a negative consequence. And if you can't follow instruction, when someone gives you instruction, you definitely aren't having any duty or gratitude toward that person. So it does need to be corrected. But what you're talking about is practicing the correct skill or behavior before it's ever even time. And then giving them the opportunity to use it in real time. And then when you have to correct them because it didn't go right, because that's going to happen because they're children, mm-hmm. they're learning everything else. Then you're going to do more practice of doing it the right way. Yep. So practice, practice, practice all the time. <laughs> and it does seem like a lot of talking more than parents usually want to invest time-wise, but you know, we yeah. need to stop thinking these children are taking my time. Nope. Once you're the parent, you have a duty to give the time in your life mm-hmm. to them. Sure, that you're going to be giving it to other people too. And sometimes hopefully having some time to, to sharpen <laughs> your own saw and fill your own bucket, right? But we can't be thinking they're taking my time because then it's very entitled and very selfish. Yeah. Yeah. We become selfish. And now all of a sudden we're not really acting in duty. Now it's more like just this begrudging attitude. Mm -hmm. And then we try to put it off, which is then when we get attitude ourselves, and we, ah, can't you handle it yourself? And wait, why do you always need something, you know, and that kind of thing. And so we're putting off fulfilling that, that duty instead, just embrace the teaching, right? That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. embrace and the corrections. Embrace I think, them. cause I know for, for me growing up that correction and that daily practice and those following instructions, it was just part of daily life. It just fit right in, you know, and especially as we got a little bit older and we had mastered, you know, how to follow an instruction, how to accept a no answer, how to do consequences, how to disagree appropriately. Then life was so smooth and we were able to, you know, just move through everything And, you know, there was never a single moment where I saw you saying, why are you doing this? You know, you're taking my time, blah, 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 blah. There was never, never an instance where I saw that. Um, You know, I knew there were times where maybe dad would take all of us kids for, you know, an hour or so, so that you could get something done. But um, you always made sure to show us that, you know, you wanted to be with us and that, you know, even though you had things you need to do, say for the business or for um, the other things that you were participating in, that we were most important. Mm-hmm. And so um, that duty was always very, very present. And so it was it was really nice to see that in, an, in daily interactions. And those actually did come through those correcting moments. You know, in the moment, as kids, we probably didn't like it very much. But looking back on it as an adult, 
seeing that you took the time to be consistent in those corrections and in your praise was huge. It showed us that you loved us enough to make sure we were pointed in the right direction. And praise was definitely harder for me. So I, I have a critical eye. And now I see eye. where I get it from. <laughs> <laughs> I have a critical eye. And so I can see what things don't go right. And dad definitely has the critical eye and can see when things don't go right. And I would say I still praise more than he does probably. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just by nature. But I actually had to take that on as a personal mission. I was like, okay, I I am going to be grateful. I'm going to notice the good. I'm going to even track how many times I have praised a person. And so I kept a little tally sheet in my pocket for each of the people in my family. And I would track how many praises I gave different people each day. And I had to work very hard at that. Sometimes there was a time page. I don't, I'm sure you don't remember this. There was a time in your life when you were incredibly annoying to me. Yeah. Incredibly annoying because you were always trying to tell everybody what to do bossing. You were bossing (laughs) dad. And we were like, that that's not your role. And, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And you were just very, because you were, you actually were really confident, which was great. And also very analytical. (laughs) Yeah. And you saw lots of things, (laughs) but, but in the end, you were overstepping your bounds all the time. We had lots of conversations about that. (laughs) It was getting to be very annoying. And I was like, Hey, I've got to praise that girl more because this is, I'm correcting and correcting and correcting and correcting. I'm like, I've (laughs) got to find more things to praise. Otherwise 10 praises for every one correction. (laughs) Exactly. And so I had to make it my special little mission to focus on the positive. Cause I'm like, it's there. I'm just not seeing it because there's just too much of this constant bossing that's going (laughs) on and I'm like we got to stop with that anyway so that was something that I had to do for myself I had to do that as my own daily practice and that was me setting the example right and so you don't ever remember me not praising you know but that's because early on I made that a habit for Mm -hmm. myself to do because I put that into my own daily practice and then helped you develop that too and you've always actually been really kind to people and tried to notice things that you can praise too although I do think you inherited the critical eye yes (laughs) (laughs) okay so this brings us to this brings us to way number three so setting goals not entitlements okay so Mm -hmm. entitlement is a huge problem and it's not really just the opposite of goals it is because goals is seeing where you can put in work to be better. And entitlement is someone else putting in the work to make you feel better. Exactly. And this is not the direction we want to go. So if we start thinking, how can I make them feel better? How can they make me feel better? How can whatever, then we are thinking in terms of entitlements instead of saying to ourselves, wait a second, how can I help them self-govern better? Let's set some goals for them. Let's talk to them about it. And what can I do? Just like the praising that I was talking about, the goal that I had to create a new habit for myself. What can I do to create a better bond with Paige or with whatever child, you know, X, Y, Z? <laughs> then um, I've got to take that responsibility and set the goal. Now, you have to create a pattern of this for your children. So how do you set a pattern of goal setting and problem solving? Because really- Goal setting is a way of doing problem solving. So in our family and in the TSG parenting course, we talk about a problem solving exercise called sodas. And this was something that, especially when you were little, we did a lot more of this. Mm -hmm. And so it was a kind of a mindset that you could keep in mind, but sodas, 
stands for Situation, Options, Disadvantages, Advantages, Solutions. So it's an acronym. Mm -hmm. And we would talk through different experiences, potential experiences or experiences you just had and talk about our different options, what the disadvantages and the advantages are to different options and what solutions we would pick and why. And this would help us get in the, in the mindset of how do I make a good goal, right? If I'm going to make a goal for myself, I've got to examine all my options. Yep. And then it gave us a format to use in every situation and every area of life. Well, and we also had regular meetings where our family was setting goals as a group and problem solving as a group Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. So we had family meeting, we had individual mentor meeting with each of you each week where we would set personal goals for you. And you had the big say in those goals. You would say, I want to get through this many books. Or I want to memorize this piano piece, and you didn't always meet your goal. Get with it. <laughs> now this is the now this is the thing you got to remember: setting a pattern, a pattern of setting goals, and a pattern of problem solving does not mean that the child will immediately become perfect no. at achieving all their goals or solving all their problems. So this is really important to realize. Instead, they are going to have a pattern of talking about it, deliberately planning action. And then hopefully if you have your meetings regularly, which is on you as a parent, being accountable for it. And if they're accountable for it, I mean, how many times did we say, did Paige say, I'm going to get this song done. I'm going to get this many pages of this piano piece memorized for the recital. (laughs) And then we get to the next week when we check up. So Paige, last week you said you were going to memorize this many pieces, this many pages. How, how are we doing with that? Well, I memorized three more lines. Well, we <laughs> or, went oh, I forgot. <laughs> yeah, that could have happened too. But it would be like, well, we're going in the right direction. We set a goal, but we didn't even step toward it at all. Or wait, three lines, that's going in a good direction. Mm-hmm. We're headed toward the goal. But do you think you're going to meet your goal by having the whole piece done by XX date? Hmm, maybe not. And so we, we may need to get more aggressive with our goal setting. And maybe we need to talk about exactly what time in the day you're going to be working on this goal yeah. every day, you know, be a little so, more specific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then we kind of break it down. Well, wait, maybe we're not being specific enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and in our family, we had our family meetings where we would talk about problems facing the pan- the family and people would come up with different ideas for how we could solve those problems. Yeah. We voted on lots of options and we made sure that we all had a voice. Yeah, we did. And then if we made a bad choice, then the next week we'd say, can we talk about that again? Because it's not working out. <laughs> let's fix that. <laughs> let's set a new goal, you know? So all of these meetings, this pattern of goal setting, habit training for yourself, looking at disadvantages and advantages and options and solutions and, and discussing things very deliberately like this leads to a person truly self-governing. Mm-hmm. So when we teach a child self-government, we teach them what an instruction is, how to follow it, and then we correct them. Okay. That's our daily practice step. But when a person is really setting their own goals and not focusing on what happens to them, what someone did to them, what they got or didn't got, that was bad grammar. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> they didn't get anyway. Um, then the next step is, well, I'm going to give myself an instruction. I'm going to give myself a no answer. I'm going to acknowledge the consequences that came about because I didn't wake up on time and I'm going to accept them. I'm going to accept my negative consequences and my positive consequences, and I'm going to make new plans for myself. And that is called self-government. That's what parents have to do to set the example. So now we've come full circle, haven't we? 
So now then, then we create the person who takes personal responsibility and sets the example for all of the other people. And hopefully there are enough examples that are constantly being put forward that we can create this perpetual cycle of people taking personal responsibility because we all know that if we don't take personal responsibility if we stay in entitlement say then we feel like we're victims we're passive everything's happening to us and we don't feel like we can do anything to better our lives or sometimes even to solve our problems and, and serve other people and so you know you see where really learning how to take personal responsibility is the avenue to freedom. And I think a lot of people know that way, which is why they're like, you have to learn how to work. You have to learn how to take responsibility. Because if you don't, then you end up relying on other people, you know, whether it be relying on other people for your happiness or for your food or, you know, whatever else, if you don't learn to do anything by yourself Mm -hmm. or on your own and through your own motivation, then you really are in bondage, even though it feels like you are, you know, you might be free because you don't have to do anything. But you yeah, really well, are relying on others. Like, let's think if you always have a bailout, okay? So you have your own money. You don't budget it properly. You buy something that's way too much money and you shouldn't have bought it, but you impulse bought it. You're like, I want a new TV or whatever. And you go buy it, but you don't actually have the money for it. And then you're like, oh no, uh, somebody better give me money. Uh, uh, mom, dad, neighbor, uh, church. Uh, I don't have food, you know? And, <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like asking for food, you know, I need a welfare program to give me food because I don't know how to spend my money because I spent it all at the arcade or, you know, or buying booze or whatever I did with it. And so, you know, this is when, you know, a person truly is not taking personal responsibility, but this means that parents have to set that example too. There were many times in our family when we were poor, we could have gotten all kinds of different assistance, but my goal was like, No, I am going to learn every skill. I am going to practice cooking every single thing, saving every single thing, (laughs) sewing the food or not the food. You don't (laughs) sew food. You sew the clothing, sewing the clothing. I would make you dresses and pajamas and little Mm -hmm. outfits out of scraps of material that I inherited from my grandmother, which hopefully was back in style. And you know what I mean? Like these (laughs) things, but this was me taking personal responsibility for my family. And do you know what it led to? It led to freedom. Mm-hmm. I nurtured all these gifts because it made me free and it helped me set the example so that my children could hopefully see, I've got to learn stuff. I've got to practice skills daily and I've got to set goals for myself. And I can't think everyone's going to bail me out all the time. I got to do it myself. And so this is what, you know, me and dad tried to do again and again. And, and we think we've done a pretty good job, but you know, time will tell. Time will tell. Everybody hasn't hatched out of the nest yet, although we're awful close. Yeah, we're awful close. But now we, we are seeing what you're doing, Paige, and we're seeing what Quinn's doing in his life and, and what London's doing. And we're seeing you guys just go out and do and take responsibility and not expect someone else to, to cover everything for you all the time. And that's that's when we know everything's going to be okay. Because really, at the end of the day, isn't that why we want our children to take responsibility? Because mm-hmm. we want to know they're going to be okay. We want them to know they're going to be okay because they know yeah. how to do stuff. And, and it's like the means to being free for life and to being able to care for that next generation that's going to come along. Yeah, those three, those three ways are huge. Yeah, they are. They're enormous. So this 
has been the three ways for how to teach your children to take responsibility for themselves. It is possible. It's a lifetime pursuit. You're going to have to keep fine tuning it again and again, maybe even learn some more skills, but there is a place that you can learn those skills. And that is at teachingselfgovernment.com. So check out the TSG parenting course, check out the other resources that we have there for you. If you need mentoring, there is a place to get mentoring. It's at teachingselfgovernment.com. So we will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.